Okay, hey, let's get, we're gonna get going. So on your tables, you find all kinds of little snacks and some papers and stuff. If you take this uh, long half sheet kind of thing, if you wouldn't mind. And what I want you to take a pen, I just want you to draw a picture of an adolescent. Just draw a picture of an adolescent. Take a few seconds to do that. We're not looking for great artists or just impressions, really. You could use stick figures if you would like, but just grab, you know, just a stick figure or just a drawing of an adolescent. When you were drawing that, what, what name popped into your head? I want you to write a name or the names of an adolescent that popped into your head or that's in your life. Just write one adolescent, two, whatever, whatever name or names popped in there. Maybe it's your own son or daughter. And we'll do that in a second. How old are yours? 13. 13 and? 10 and 9. Okay, so yeah, you're right there. 13 and 11. Okay. 12, 10, and 6. Okay. 15, 13, 9, and 6. Amen. <laughs> and yours? 12, 10, and 7. 12, 10, 7. 12, 10, 7, 12, 10, 7. Yep. <clears throat> Oh, all boys. Oh, let's just change some numbers. Just kidding, just kidding. So just all I want to do with that is just, um, you know, think about your, the adolescent in your life, and now I just want to pray over those names because um, adolescence is a hard stage of life. It's hard for moms and dads. It's also hard for the teenagers. So I just thought we'd just open in prayer. So as you, if I'm praying, if you want to just pray with, over those names, uh, we'll just do that now. Is that cool? Can we do that? So I'll pray, and then we'll just move on. Sound good? All right, Father God, I'm just thankful for this time to be together and that we can just kind of pause uh, for about 50 minutes and just kind of discuss um, adolescents, teenagers, our kids, and um, it's clear that these parents care and love their kids. And the names that are on their cards, I just pray over them right now for safety. I pray for um, salvation in their souls, that they would understand who Jesus is, that he loves them, that he wants a relationship with them, and that they can have that as they explore that. Sometime, some of them for maybe the first time or in a new way uh, because of the way they're able to think about things now. And so we just pray over them that your blessing would be on them, that you would lead them towards you and protect them on their journey from childhood to adulthood. And I'm thankful for these parents. Pray for their hearts and souls as well. Give them the courage and the strength and the perseverance um, to lead and love their families well. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so week one is who's that stranger in my house? There's a verse I find great. It's out of the message. Three things amaze me. No, four things I'll never understand. How an eagle flies so high in the sky. How a snake glides over a rock. How a ship navigates the ocean. And why adolescents act the way they do. So, um, and I always think the million dollar question for us as parents is um, what is our role as parents in this stage of adolescence? So I have two girls, 15 and almost 18. So I was talking earlier in our war room. So I kind of, you know, youth ministry has been in my background for about 20 years. And so right now the perspective is so fresh for me because I've had hundreds of kids come through 
but my two, it's so different. And so the empathy level for moms and dads is like through the roof. So I look back like, man, I wish I would have done this or I could have helped parents with that. And so this is kind of where this kind of came from. And so I'm just so thankful for having had feet in both worlds. And so um, that's why we're doing this today. So uh, the million dollar what is our role? Here's our, our role is uh, our job as parents is, or the adult, is to help them transition from adolescence to responsible adulthood. And I always tag in there, who loved Jesus, dash who loved Jesus. We hope that happens, um, but we can't really make that happen. Um, we can do a lot of things to encourage that. So our job is to help them transition from one side, childhood to adulthood. Jim Burns says this. He's a youth and family uh, counselor in California. Uh, stay calm. Adolescence is a temporary transition. Work your plan. Hold on to your seatbelt. Get as emotionally, physically, and spiritually healthy as you can. And before you know it, that sweet kid who morphed into a teen and sometimes hates you will become a responsible adult who loves Jesus. And so here's the image I use uh, just to kind of capture what I think our role is as parents. And it's, it's a bridge. And so um, we want to be able to, um, if one side is this is childhood, and we want to get them to responsible adulthood, which is kind of cloudy because we're not really sure where that is. We'll talk a little bit more about where that ends and why it's so hard to know when that ends. Um, but we want to be uh, provide the undergirding, the supports, the beams, the wire cabling that will help them navigate from childhood to adult, the, their journey. So that's kind of what we do. That's called the bridge. And it's just we want to walk, the, we want to help them get over to being adults. And that's hard because there's a lot of transitionings happening. There's just so many things that are changing. And so that's why I use the bridge. Here's a little bit of outlines. We're gonna talk a little bit about adolescence. We're gonna talk about biology and culture, frontal operational thinking, imaginary audience, congruence, and if we have time, we'll get to killer phrases. So first question, what is adolescence? Sigmund Freud said it's a temporary mental illness. <laughs> um, well, I think Walt Mueller said this, a transitional stage in which your child is an adult trying to happen. And then just the base definition is a transitional stage between childhood and adulthood. That's really what adolescence is. Um, it's a time of change and transition. So when you guys think about your students, what, what do you see changing? Where, what are some changes that you know or have already observed in their moods? Okay, good, yeah. What else? Oh, yeah, good one, yeah. <laughs> Not just for the boys. Girls, too. I know my, yeah, yeah. They eat more. They, they cost more. <laughs> Anybody else? Any other changes you've noticed? Sure. A little more withdrawn. A little more private. Yep. We want to close that door now. Yeah, that's good. Uh, growth spurts, potentially. Uh, puberty's happening. Voice changes. Uh, there's hair in weird places. Um, they can really start to stink, right? That's new. Um, there's, there's nothing worse than a middle school bunkhouse, right? When they've just kind of all hit that stage of you need deodorant, bro, and they haven't figured out how to use it. Oh my goodness, too many of those dorm rooms just about knock you out. Uh, they've kind of discovered um, new interests, maybe in music or clothes or friendships or even the opposite sex. Uh, they're noticing boys and girls. Friendships might be new. Uh, new schools, potentially, depending on your district. Uh, the brain changes, thinking changes. Um, they have this strong desire for freedom. 
Braveheart, freedom. It's like, I need freedom. Oh, can I borrow 20 bucks? Right? It's kind of like this, stay out of my life, but I need you. Right? It's kind of that push-pull. Uh, you probably all sense that a little bit. Uh, social media, that adds a whole other new realm of dynamic in the home. Um, the, the sad part is how, how often and how uh, early uh, adolescents are being exposed to Internet pornography by age 11 is probably is the new average when they're exposed. Um, cell phones are the main um, medium for that. So there's just so many, so many things changing. And so then there's this, this is kind of, it's not new, but then, so there's pressure and anxiety. That's not new. Like we all kind of grew up with that, but there's this, there's this lack of ability to cope with it. So the, the pressure and anxiety is there. We've always kind of had that, but just the coping mechanisms and the tools to deal with it are like missing for some reason. Um, we're not really sure why. They're, they're doing lots of studies on it. Um, but it's very, very uh, right in our faces that anxiety is definitely um, reaching academic or, uh, yeah, proportions of this is not good. And so a lot of it has to do with they think a lot of the screen stuff. Um, nobody's been able to prove that. I think it's just science and proving things. But uh, there's a lot of support for that, so as you guys probably have experienced some of that already. Do, you all, do all your kids have phones yet? No, 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 no phones yet. Okay, yeah, yeah. Ours, seventh grader does. Yeah, there's no right or wrong. It's it's completely how you guys deal with that as parents. You guys are in charge. I just I was just curious. I think we waited till they were thirteen, ten or thirteen, but there was restrictions on what they could do. Like if they they could only text me or mom or family. You know, it was, anyway kind of eased into it. Now it's just, un it's ridiculous. So, um, but at the same time, we can't shield them from that forever because the world kind of runs on that stuff. So we really want to help them, you know, learn how to use that in a healthy way. So you guys know all that. Um, uh, so just a reminder, you know, our role is to move them from one side of the bridge to the other. We want to be the beams and the supports. And one of the ways we can do that is by understanding. And so uh, all these changes that are transitioning happening are happening over a longer period of time. And so um, blah, blah, blah. Th this is the stat. I was at a conference about six months ago. 28 is the new 18. And so adolescence is stretching out longer until they're like tw almost 30 years old. This is new. This is, I don't even, it's just different. And so um, we have these adolescents who start transitioning around eight, there's as young as eight, puberty, nine and a half, ten, right, uh, all the way to 28. And so um, why, is this ha why is this happening? Well, it begins with biology and ends with culture. So like I said, there's girls as young as eight, nine and a half, ten, who are starting to hit puberty earlier, uh, most likely related to like health and care and all that kind of nutrition is better, so they're starting earlier. So it begins with biology and then it ends with culture. And this is kind of... Um, Go back one. Um, culture. So if you look around in our world, there's no real clear, okay, now you're an adult. There's no end point. And that bridge, the bridge was kind of, it was fogged in and we couldn't really see where it ended. That's kind of what they're experiencing. And so um, there's no good measure of when uh, they end this transition, and, and a lot of times they would say, they did research, they would say, w when I'm married and have kids, that's when they feel like they're adults. 
The problem with that is, is according to the U.S. Census Bureau, thank you, Google, uh, first marriages for women in, in 2017 was 27.4. And for men, it was uh, slightly older than 29 and a half. So that's the longest time period in American history is that people have been waiting to get married. If, just for reference, um, in 1990, the average for women was 24. In 1980, it was 22. In the 50s, it was only 20. And so this stuff, is this transition period is longer, begins with biology, ends with culture. And so when we think about what do, what are, what do we tell our kids? Like, how do we, you know, you're 16, you get a driver's license, but they're not adults yet, right? I'm not ready to... My, I know mine. I'm like, no way. No, <laughs> no, you can't do that. And no, you can't drive to Chicago. Like, no, that's not okay. You know, like, what are you thinking? You're, they're so far away. But maybe, they, anyway, they can vote at 18, go to war. Uh, 21, they can drink. But there's just no good end period. So there's ambiguity um, in the signs for when they're an adult. So that just makes it longer. Um, here's a quote by Chap Clark. They look at the adult, this is kind of their perspective of what an adult is. Uh, they look at the adult with suspicion because there are these underlying expectations on the adolescents. But there's no guidance given to the adolescents, so they feel stuck in a world not knowing where to go because we don't know how to become an adult anymore. Like I said, there's this lack of, okay, you're an adult. Uh, so the holding pattern is longer. So that's just an understanding of, okay, these kids that we have, you know, they're entering in adolescence. It's going to be a while. It's just one of those long things. And I've talked to parents in the past about here, there's some things we can do. Um, there's sometimes they'll hold um, rites of passage depending on the family. So I know one dad um, would take his boys individually. At a, I don't remember what age it was. And he would take just him and his, his son, and he'd take an axe. And then they'd just go to some forest somewhere. And he would just take him out there and say, pick a tree, and then he'd have the kid chop down a tree. And, he's, and we, they'd have this thing going, and he'd say, son, now you're a man. Like, there was just, it's silly, but it, there w there's nothing else. You know, so you can kind of create your own, like, okay, now you're, and so there's creativity between your spouses. You can kind of think, okay, how do we communicate to our kids that now they, you know, this or that? Like, now you kind of, this is your responsibility now, and there's things we can do that we have to kind of manufacture because society doesn't have them anymore, which I think is cool. There's a cool opportunity there. So just, yeah, I encourage you to think through those and how you can communicate that. When do you want to communicate? At 18? What, maybe there's different stages of those opportunities. So um, that's what I would say. Any questions on that? Just kind of as we keep going? It's all making sense? I don't think I'm changing your lives here, but you never know. Hang in there. There's more to come. Okay, okay. so let's talk about their brains. So we know what this whole transition is longer. I want to talk a little bit about the brain. Um, and so cognitive elements. Um, so adolescents are beginning to develop this thing called formal operational thinking. And formal operational thinking is basically um, they're now able to go from just concrete thinking to abstract thinking. And do I have that? Yeah, I got this cool picture. That's so cool. Anyway, I was excited to show you that. So on the one side, it's very uh, A to B, very concrete. And this side, it's more just fluid. They can connect ideas better. Um, so they're ending this stage probably you know, right around now. And it goes into adulthood. Um, so 
Concrete is operations are carried out on things, whereas former operations or abstract thinking are carried out on ideas. So, you know, when my kids were little, I was the greatest mu magician ever. So if I had something in my hand and I'd, they'd be like, oh, because they couldn't connect that it's in the other hand, right? They couldn't see that. Uh, maybe your kids are still there and that's okay. Um, and so that's kind of why there's this, um, there's this, but they're developing this abstract thinking. So concrete thinking, whatever can be seen, heard, smelled, or touched. Um, and there's a, this absence of chain of thoughts. Uh, so they might be, you might be in a conversation with them and you ask the question, did you, um, did you, <laughs> did you knock over the vase? And they, they may look at you and say, no, I did not knock over the vase. The ball knocked over the vase, but I didn't know they can be very literal and they can almost like truly believe they're not lying to you because <laughs> it's terrible, but that's concrete thinking, right? No, I didn't know the ball, the ball knocked it over, right? Again, there's manipulation and lying in there. There's sin in us, all right, but um, as we know that. So that's kind of where that goes, concrete operational thinking. And so um, I like talking about this because um, their adolescents are kind of in the middle of kind of going from just concrete to also a form of operational thinking. And so this kind of develops a new lens for them. And the lens is called idealism. And so, um, and this comes with a lot of tension because now they can look through the lens of idealism, the way things can be or should be, um, and they can kind of see beyond the here and now to this ideal picture, okay? And so now they can start to kind of connect the dots where they realize what family is supposed to be or look like. Um, now they're beginning to see abstractly what a mom is supposed to be or a dad is supposed to be or a friend or food or clothes or hair or makeup, you name it, there's this ideal, okay? Um, and then so they, they can kind of see through this lens of idealism and then they look at their context and they can kind of, they start to compare. Well, this isn't, they say kind of, well, wait a minute, my dad's not like that. And my mom's not like that. My body, my appearance, my muscles, uh, my IQ, my family isn't like that. And so there's this cognitive dissonance between the ideal and their perceived reality. And so they begin to idealize. So what's the perfect body? Uh, what's the perfect personality? What's the perfect job? Uh, what's the perfect social circle? IQ, et cetera, et cetera. So you take that and then you throw into this um, this idea w of all the messages that culture says, what is the ideal body? What is the ideal family? Um, and it just becomes this big confusing mess of, of tension and anxiety because they can see, they see a difference. And so this typically, you'll probably experience this if you haven't already in their behavior, the number one thing that typically, or not the number one, but one of the things that happens is they, bec they can become very critical. All of a sudden, this sweet little boy or girl who was just like loving life and cool, I got a soda pop and whatever, is like, you, you didn't cook that right, you didn't do that right, that's, oh, wh why did you do it that way? And there's like, it's like, where is this coming from? Because they are now able to think abstractly about the ideal and it's not matching up to what they think or what society is saying and now they're critical. Have you guys experienced anything like that where your kids are critical of you? You're like, what? 
why are you telling me this stuff, right? Um, yeah, they can be very critical. And th- that's a hard thing to do. They, they can be cr- critical. I'm going to go back to um, the idea of the, the, when the, what's the perfect body and what society says. That can be really hard um, as they kind of think through and walk through the idea of I don't match up to that. That can be very damaging and just very stress, just hard on their souls, on their self-esteem, on who they are, their identity, uh, which is why we're going to do a whole week on identity. But um, the more we can help them under- help them see and view themselves through the identity, the lens of Jesus, the better. We'll come back to that, but I just wanted to make sure I said it. So they become very critical, and they can also become very argumentative. So we got we got idealism, we got argument, critical, and argumentative. So. Uh, oftentimes, uh, in youth ministry career, moms or dads would come up to me and say, my little Eric isn't my little Eric anymore. Why not? They say, I know, I know. He'll be back. He'll be back. And then I would also hear, uh, would you tell Susie not to argue with us so much? She just argues with us all the time. We're not sure where it's coming from. And so the, the scenario might go like this. A parent says, please, please put your phone away and take a break from the screen. Little Susie would say, why? Why do I need to do this? And parent might say, because I said so. And little Susie says, okay, you know, okay, sure. Maybe that never happened because kids are kids, but um, just for scenario's sake. Now, add this abstract thinking, this front, uh, former operational thinking begins, and the, it kind of changes. This is, so they start firing. Now the parent says, I need you to do this. And Susie says, why? The parent says, because I told you to. Now Susie says, why does that matter? You're on your phone. Why should you get off my phone? This is so unfair. I hate this house. You drive me crazy. No, no, no. Has that ever happened? right? Sure? Okay. In my house, maybe it's just me. Um, it's like, what? And you're like, I thought I raised this little kid to love Jesus and love people. What do they do? What happened? Who is this person? What is going on? And you just lose your mind. And as parents, we're just like, it's so unsettling because you're like, what? What has happened? That's why this is titled, Who is a Stranger in My House? Because they literally, it just seems like, who just walked by? Who was that? <laughs> right? They're sitting there watching TV. You ask them a question. You get your head ripped off. You're like, wait a minute. Where, is that my kid? That can't be my kid. <laughs> so unsettling. And so, uh, yeah. So this is happening because their brains are into new abilities, a whole new way of thinking and processing their world. Um, former operating gives them this new lens of idealism, and they can see what things are supposed to be like, and they become critical argumentative. And it's like a muscle, right? They're kind of exercising that. Um, and they begin to develop an exercise. They can state a case and they can, uh, they're able to say what they think. And they, sometimes you might hear like, uh, you know, you say some of this, well, what about this? What about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And it's just like endless. And you're like, I'm going to beat you. And you can't beat him. <laughs> right? And for us as adults, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What, I'm going to go I'm going to take a walk. I got to get out of here. You're grounded. Go to your room. And we just, you know, we just like fire off. So like, just make it stop. Please just stop. Maybe you said that. Please just stop. No more. Just stop. Go to bed. It's just, uh, it's so frustrating at times. Um, yeah, this precious little child. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because it also forces us to kind of, you know, if we're talking reasoning behind discipline or faith, you know, it, it kind of forces us to be like, hey, why am I? Why am I saying that? Why do I want them to clean their plate off? Or why do I need them to do A or B? And we're like, oh yeah, my parents made me, so I'm making you. That doesn't quite work anymore. So um, 
That's pretty good. Any questions about that or stories? Any, do you guys feel that? Is that? Yes. 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 There, there's reason behind it. Yeah. There, there. I mean, all the changes external, but the brain is literally changing, and uh, that affects everything. It affects their mood, uh, how they see things, how they talk to you. Uh, th- and the mood thing, that, that just adds fire to it. You know, so they got all these changes going on, and then it's like the hormones start kicking in. You know, sometimes it's just like real calm, and the other times it's like DEFCON 9. You're like, what is happening? It was just a towel. You know, why are you, why are you breaking down? It'll be okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Remember, we're helping him from one side of the bridge to the other, and understanding is, is a big part of helping him walk through that bridge. So, um. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you may want to push them off the bridge. <laughs> kicking me out, kicking them across. Sometimes it's like whatever gets them across. <laughs> Get out of my house. I'll edit this, but. <laughs> Make it great. Okay, so all that's going on. Then throw into this idea of imaginary audience, um, which is just this idea that um, if you've ever walked onto a bus, uh, and you try, it's full, and you're trying to find a seat, or you're walking in front of bleachers, you know, packed house, and it just feels like everybody's just watching you. Like, for teenagers, that, per- that perceived audience is there all the time. Everything they do all the time is this I- the audience that, ev- and there are, they feel awkward, they feel confused, you know what I mean? So they just feel like uh, all eyes are on them, which may feel like, to us, like you're so self-centered. And I don't think they mean to be, but I, maybe sometimes. But you, it's just this idea that there's this imaginary audience. Everybody's watching me if I mess up. And so you, you kind of see that where it's like, like when we go to the store and I, there's a song come on, I'd start boogieing or something. And the girls would be like, Dad, don't. There's nobody around the whole place. Like, who's going to see me? And if they do, I don't care. But they care so much, right? That's where that's coming from. It's, just, it's very self-conscious. It's very um, just unsettling because they're like so many things are watching. Um, and then they throw into this, this idea of, Maybe your kids have a hard time making a decision because now they're able to imagine all these options after the fact. So they can think, if I choose this, well, then I won't get that one. But then, and so they can, so it's this idea of that making choices is so hard um, for them to make good choices. Um, and the only way they can learn is by letting them make some of those choices. This is not just like choosing peanut butter, but... Also, you know, should I go to the movies with my friend and not do my homework? You know, it's kind of, there's this balance as we get into parenting of, okay, we want to give them some more freedom. We want to give them some responsibility. And sometimes we hope they fail. In, in a good sense, we're like, man, I hope that doesn't work out because that would be a great lesson. You ever thought that? Maybe it's just me. I'll edit that too, but <laughs> um, there's just a, it's just a great opportunity while they're in the house with you now because you're kind of that safety net of giving them some appropriate, appropriate responsibility, letting them choose things um, and talk about, you know, okay, you made the choice, how did that go? What would you choose differently next time? You know, th- those are good opportunities for conversation. So imagining audience is huge and then hard time making decisions uh, is another <laughs> bump in the road. So um, uh, there's a, s- a study out of Harvard, uh, the paradox of choice. Um, Americans have so many choices that it's leading to systemic depression of everyone in the country. It might be overstated a little bit, but um, they're saying this idea of 
19 different ways to buy ketchup, 30 different things of toothpaste, you know, like, or we shop online, we buy something, and we see it later for cheaper, like, oh, man, you know, we're almost depressed by that. Um, that that's just there. <laughs> and so um, they're starting to engage in that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, man. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Just going from, you know, whatever they have. Yeah. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. Okay. Any questions on that? No, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Teenagers are hard. I, yeah. I, I think that's what I would, I've got more. I would keep going, but just a little pause in my brain as I'm just thinking, like, it can just be so, like, we've had some things happen in our home, and I remember texting my buddy, like, I've never felt so hopeless and incompetent in all of my life. And I've worked with teenagers like forever. And I'm like, I just have two that I've got to care for. And it just, it's different. It's, it's hard and it's up and it's down. And it causes issues between me and my soul and me and my wife at times. Um, and so if, if you've ever experienced any of that stuff, like I'm with you, I'm not standing up here perfect. I'm just a guy who's screwed up enough to know, let's talk about this stuff. Please, let's talk, because I'm in it with you, and um, it's just hard. But God is so faithful. I think that's the key. At the end of the day, you know, it really forces us, we'll talk this about the end, but it really forces us to trust, trust in what God is doing, even when it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. Um, we hope he is. Okay, so speaking of spirituality, as we just got there, so the brain is spirituality. So uh, when we think about uh, when a kid makes a decision for Jesus, uh, maybe five, four, or even later, depend, whenever that happens. But if, if that's kind of around uh, adolescence time, um, what does salvation or what does conversion mean for an adolescent? Um, it might be more profound or more dramatic than we know. Um, so if you think about faith for me, or if you think about the gospel, let's take the gospel. Uh, what are some key, as you guys, if you've gone to church, uh, what are some just key concepts uh, of understanding the Christian gospel? Like, what are some one-word things that, that are important for the gospel? Like, sin. What else? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah. Grace. Love. Love. Those are all great. I'm not, I'm just, we're just talking. Could be more. Uh, I, would, I would add, like, believe, redempt in justice, rescue, original sin. And if you think about all those terms are abstract. And we're dealing with some people, some kids, who are just beginning to kind of develop that thinking, right? And so it just feels like maybe there's more to explaining Jesus than just Jesus loves you, you know, receive Jesus. And I'm not saying that's all we do, but it just, it just feels like, man, we really need, to me, it, it's just really forced me to rethink and pray through, okay, what my 17-year-old, what, what does she need to hear about the gospel today? They, they, they know the stories. They know, you know, if your kids grew up, they probably know some of that stuff. And so it just made me really think, like, what? What layer do I need to add? And, I, and that's, where, that's where I think it's kind of like adding layers from when they're born until now. And so 
a lot of times, you know, they're, they're kind of, if I, if I look at it as a backpack, and so we've spent, you know, let's say average in a room, 13, let's say average, thir for 13 years we've been kind of putting things in their spiritual backpack for 13 years, whatever it is, like stories and values and Jesus and God and faith, and we've just been putting it in there. And now at 13, they can kind of take off the backpack and they kind of start, oh, what? Oh, yeah, what's? And they have new questions and they have new perspective and they can think through it a little bit more. Um, they can kind of connect like, so Jesus died on the cross. So was he, was he God? You know, they, those harder questions like, so was he, did God die on the cross? You know, those ever had some of those unsaid, like, I don't even know that answer. <laughs> I don't know if there is an answer to that question, but that's a great question, right? And so it's kind of like they're coming to faith anew because it's kind of all new because their brain's literally, they're a new person. They changed overnight almost. What happened to you? Um, and for us, sometimes it's like, maybe they, do they not know about, I mean, we've talked about this all the time. Do they not know this? It's not that they don't know it. It's just they're looking at the other side of the cross. They're looking at the other side. They saw the front. Now they're looking at the back, the top, the left side, the right side. Um, and I think there's so much opportunity there if we will cultivate and allow them to ask those questions and not get, sometimes the church gets a bad rap for be like, don't ask those questions. Doubt's bad. You know, that kind of, you've heard that. Um, but I think in our homes, like those are the great places to allow for those questions, to allow them to explore to think through, um, even to look into like other religions, because if your kids are like mine, like they're going to school with every, all kinds of cultures from all over the world. I mean, it's just new world. Like growing up in Leo, it was Leo kids. That's it, <laughs> right? Um, but now it's they're they're with all everybody, everybody, and so we've had great conversations. So. Um, that's kind of faith formation a little bit. So congruence, one of the words that we talk about with faith formation, congruence is this idea that what's on the inside matches the outside. And so sometimes this, in their world, there's this ebb and flow, this tension. Uh, it's a term of the time of thinking and behaving. And so sometimes their behavior doesn't match what they believe. And sometimes it's just a matter of um, their actions just haven't caught up with their belief system yet. They're just, they're still, they're kind of forming who they are. They're forming their identity. They're making decisions. They're testing things. Um, and so sometimes as parents and leaders, we want to point out those incongruencies with gentleness and love. You know, you, and we, you said the other day that you believe this, and I just, I noticed that you did this the other day. Help me understand, you know, what was going on or, you know, just kind of, willing to ask some of those hard questions. And sometimes that's just a hornet's nest. You know, like, get away from me. I don't want to talk about that, blah, 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 you know. Um, so I understand that <laughs> very well. Um, but, th yeah, I think congruence is a, is a word that, you know, we, we want to see them form into what they believe kind of flows out to who they are and what they do. So, um, yeah. But I just, I just love the idea that salvation, all those terms are so abstract that um, there's just so much there. There's so much potential to, to talk through those a little bit more, to be vulnerable with our kids. I hope, I hope you've shared with them. If you haven't, this could be your homework assignment. Share with them, like, your journey of faith. Um, 
from the time you, whatever, whatever your journey of faith might be. Um, they know that I grew up nine in the church, and they know that I made dumb decisions before that. Now, I didn't tell them all the details of all the stuff, and that you guys know is appropriate, age-appropriate stuff. Um, but I tell you, when they were little, um, I'd, I'd still be able to jump in bed with them and read them bedtime stories. Uh, they would say, tell us a story, Dad. Tell us a story when you did something bad. They loved, they loved to hear it. And so I'd tell them about the time I did something to Grandpa or, you know, I just, all these just stories, I, mean, I had a ton of them. And so <laughs> never had, I always had fresh material. <laughs> and so, but they just love that. And I think as we, the, the importance of doing that is when they're teenagers um, is to let them know, like, dad's messed up too. Like, I've made some mistakes and I'm still going. I love Jesus, I'm still going. Um, and I just think that's really a healthy thing to just share with them, like, how you came to faith and what you thought about God when you were little and how did that happen for you? Like, how did you get to Jesus? Like, that's a cool thing to share. So if you haven't and they don't know it, it might be good to, to do that. If, you know, again, depending on their mood <laughs> and their argumentativeness and their criticalness and all the things that are firing at home, um, that could be just one thing to think through. So questions on spiritual stuff, uh, abstract thinking, things like that? Have you guys noticed anything spiritually with your kids or maybe other kids, your friend's kids? <laughs> right, I have a friend's kid who does this. <laughs> Not my kid. Anybody, anything? Um, that's good. That's good. Okay, killer phrases. Um, so just some things to, you know, avoid saying. Um, for example, um, if we, if, you know, if this term is thrown around in your home, and maybe it's not, if it is, don't, no guilt here, just, just sharing. This might be something to eliminate. Um, you know, that's not biblical. Or you're, you're not being, you're not acting biblical. Um, I can't believe uh, this is the way you're trying to express love for Jesus. Again, I don't know who would all use these statements. I think they're just exaggerated, kind of give you an idea of what they are. Um, so I think the biblical thing, I think we need to stop and ask ourselves, is, is, this, tr is this truly a biblical issue? Or is this just a personal preference? Um, you know, so I've had parents ask me a lot uh, about youth ministry and attendance. Um, you know, and so a lot, lot of times mom and dad were very you go to church on Wednesdays, you have to go. Um, and I understand that, I supported them that, but the flip side of that is, well, is that, a, is that biblical? Wednesday? You know, like, or is that just mom and dad, that's just what you guys want, and, but the, the forcefulness of it was, this is a biblical, you know, you guys hear what I'm saying, like, think through, like, okay, what are we really, okay, are we, is this really a key thing to, like, is this a hill, is this a fight we want to battle? Um, for, you know, for our home, we've, and I don't know if we did it right or wrong or better or worse, but we've tried to give them a lot of, and I think this is just because, you know, 
we've tried to be careful with the whole pastor's kids. Again, I, I don't really view myself as a pastor. People say that. I'm just me. I think my kid, the kids ask me all the time, my girls, like, Dad, how are you? A, why do they call you a pastor? You know, because I'm just a goofball. Um, and they see my flaws. I'm like, I don't know. Don't tell them, but I don't know. Um, and so we've just tried to give them some freedom and some choice and all of that. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's kind of where we landed. Uh, Wednesdays was their choice. Sundays was our choice. That's kind of how we did it. Um, and even sometimes, sometimes, um, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't bang them over the head to make them go. Um, when they were little, they just went. And now we're kind of figuring that out now as they're teenagers and thinking through that. And um, we, do so we, we have started doing some just family time to talk about Jesus, which has been really good. Um, and let them share and let them think through and ask questions and, and pray over them. Um, yeah, as you can kind of see, I'm still, <laughs> I don't have all the answers. Um, but I'm glad we're talking about it. So... So I'm really careful, especially when I'm disciplining or just having a conversation with them to bring in an obscure passage from the Old Testament. You know, like this is what it says and you're supposed to, I, I, that's fine, it's okay. Um, but I just, for us, for what we, we just didn't feel like that was the right use of the scriptures. You know, the scriptures talk about, you know, they're useful for teaching, training, rebuking, and uh, something else, forget the other one. Four things, and, you know, I think parenting is kind of the same way. You know, sometimes we need to train. Um, sometimes we need to rebuke. Sometimes we need to correct. And so we, you know, that kind of stuff. So, for, uh, for and again, wiring comes into play, right? I'm wired very differently than my wife. My wife's very wired very differently than me. Um, I'm either, you know, too soft, or it's nuclear war, right? If you call dad in, it's, it's nukes. Dad's coming in, gets frustrated, maybe he gets a little too mad, but there's, sometimes there's, there's no middle. It's like, Amy's like, you got to find a middle. I'm like, I don't know how to find the middle. So, um, so I'm, I'm kind of more of a, when, when it's just me getting to choose, <laughs> dynamics of our marriage, it's just me getting to choose, then it's, let's just sit down and talk about it. Let's, I don't want to go, like, so if this, an argument happened and I'm supposed to go and, like, deal with that. It's like, well, I'm not going to go right now. It's n- nothing is going to happen. No good will come of this when the temperature is so high. Um, so I'm like, I'll talk to them later. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, just being honest. Um, but <laughs> giving everything I got. So, so if, you've, if you've ever felt like a failure or you didn't do it right, welcome to the club. I'm just saying welcome to the club. Well, God is faithful. God can... He can make it work out great. Um, yeah. Um, some other killer phrases. Um, are, have you guys ever, phrases you've heard that you're like, ah, we try not to say this, or we try not to say that. Anything that pop into your brain? What are some things that, you, let's do this. What are some things you feel like you're always telling them, you're always yelling? What's a phrase or a, Something that just kind of seems like every, I have to tell them this every day or hurry up. Hurry up. <laughs> okay, hurry up. We got to go. Hurry up. That's a good one. Listen, Listen. <laughs> Listen. yeah. Listen, be respectful. Anything else? 
Clean up your room. Brush your teeth. <laughs> Be nice. Yeah. That's good. It's funny how we all probably have some of those. What was that? Yeah. Let me parent. Um, I was at a conference where a guy did this kind of exercise and people were just yelling out all these kind of negative things. And he said, when was the last time you yelled positive things? I love you. You're doing great. You know, let's not forget to encourage. I'm not, I'm sure you guys do, but it, it was really a light bulb to me. Like, oh yeah, I should probably remember to yell positive things too. <laughs> I love you. Like every morning with my girls, when they, when we ship them off to school, it's boys are dumb. I say it every day. <laughs> Jesus loves you and so do I. I say it every day. Um, sometimes they talk to me and other times it's death glare. So yeah, just depends on the mood. <laughs> Hope they never hear this. I'm so thankful for them. Um, okay, okay. What else I got here? Oh, just, oh, yeah. That's, that was supposed to go with the spiritual stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot to click. Okay. Here's some things to remember. Uh, they're a gift from God. Um, they really are. Uh, when you think about, you know, when it gets hard and it gets so frustrating at times and you just feel so raw and empty and clueless and stupid and <laughs> all these things. Uh, I remember, you know, when in the hospital when they were just born and they're so small and they didn't yell at you and they didn't tell you no and they, <laughs> oh, you're so special. You know, you kind of remember that. Like that's, they're gifts. They truly are. Um, try not to buy into the cultural cynicism of oh, those stupid teenagers or those terrible teenagers which it can happen, but remember they are a gift. Um, they're not liabilities. Um, they're just they're just our kids. So yeah, and that that gets hard. Um, mistakes are going to happen. Blow ups occur, um, but you're not alone. You're not alone in that. Um, I would have uh, parent meetings with you know as the youth pastor. I'd say, come on, parents, let's sit down and talk. And usually it was just uh, I'd call them I'm normal meetings you're normal. And so one parent would share something and this parent would be like, oh yeah, we have that in our house too. And this parent would share and they'd, oh, I'm so glad somebody else struggles with that. We thought it was just us. Just like marriages, right? Everybody's marriage is perfect. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, so uh, that's a good one. Uh, second thing, it's not going to be easy. So I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be very difficult, um, but you'll make it through. <laughs> There's no such thing as perfection, right? Um, perfect was a Greek term, uh, and the Hebrews, the Hebrews liked the word good. So perfect was kind of this uh, exact measurement thing where the, they had to, like, meet perfectly, and it was all this. And Hebrew, the Hebrew term is good. Um, it's, a, it's good. It, it's not this perfect feel, or it's just kind of in the realm of it's good. It's good, so... Goodness can happen, but perfection, let's not worry about that. We got enough of that. Um, it's a process. Uh, you guys all know this. Um, and it's a process that the more, it, it, it's never going to end. I think that's, <laughs> that's the realization for me of, I mean, I still talk to my parents. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, they're still kind of parenting. It's different, but they're, they're never not going to be my kids. I mean, I've known that, but... 
in this time of when is this going to end? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is never going to end. <laughs> Which there's a part of me that's like, okay, it's good. I want them in life. But then I'm like, I hope it's not like this for the rest of my life. Because this is going to be rough. Um, because, you know, as, uh, maybe I speak to the dads, but when they're little, you're Superman to them, right? Like you walk on water, you've got a cape, everything you do is funny, and they love you, and it's daddy, you come, welcome home, daddy, and they run to you and hug you, blah, blah, blah. Now it's just no cape, no Superman. <laughs> you're embarrassing, exactly. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, independence is the goal. That's really what we want. We want them to be able to function and um, work and do things on their own and make their own money and have their own jobs and their own homes and their own families and they function well. And hopefully they love Jesus. Hopefully they love Jesus. Um, and number six, helpless is a good place to be. Um, there's something about falling on your knees and just begging God to give you the strength or give you the courage or give you the help. There's something about that helpless place that God just moves in our souls, and that can be really good. So there's just an opportunity for us to grow um, as people. So um, Eugene Peterson uh, said this, adolescence is not only the process designed by the Creator to bring children to adulthood, it is also designed by the Creator to provide something essential for parents during corresponding critical years in their lives. Christian parents are most ad advantageous to recognize, appreciate, and receive the gift God has so wisely provided. I like Eugene Peters. He passed away. The guy who wrote the message. Uh, your teens long for God. I think that's, that's a big hope. Um, as they, they're going to respond to spiritual things in their own unique, created way. Um, but the one thing that isn't unique that's prevalent in all humans is we are wired for relationship with God and our souls long for him. Now they may not recognize that early now or later, but it's there. And so that, that gives me hope saying, okay, there's something in them that they need to fill and it can only be filled by Jesus. And so that's like, that's good. It's like the only thing you need that you could possibly ever want is Jesus. You're, you're going to fight, you're going to go your own way sometimes. You're going to try to figure things out. But at the end of the day, this you'll come back to this. And hopefully they'll surrender their hearts and lives to Jesus. So, yeah, week one, pretty just kind of general adolescence, some thoughts, some things. Here's why they're arguing with you and they're critical of you and they do different things. <laughs> their brains are changing, everything's changing. Uh, special treat next week. My friend Janice is going to come and help out with, uh, week two is uh, correcting without crushing. So how do we discipline? Um, she's got some great, uh, tools, I think, that'll help. Um, so it'll be a great discussion. I'll be here. Don't worry. I'm still coming. So not that I matter, but I'll be here. Um, I've got some handouts, I think. Is that what I have next? Uh, right here. So there's a couple. Um, if you go to respectteam.org, uh, respect I think it is, or .com. So there's a blog. A lot of this stuff is from that blog from different writers. What's this one? So this is a, oh, this is a, yeah, technology contract. So if you haven't done so we can talk more about this next week. This kind of goes under discipline. Uh, if you're in this stage of getting ready to give your son or daughter a cell phone or iPad, this is just something that you guys can walk through 
and agree like, okay, here's what we say was happens. Here's all the things. And then everybody signs it. So you can be like, hey, we signed this. We talked about it. That's an adult conversation, right? We all have to go buy a home. We talk about it. We agree on the price. We agree to sign. Okay, we're going to pay. You pay. So that's something we can talk about more next week. Um, they do what we do, not what we say. <laughs> yeah. We're supposed to work on ourselves. Absolutely. Be the best. The best way to help your child is to be your best self. So it, you know, I mean, if, if mm-hmm. we get healthy and stay healthy, then yep. we'll help them stay healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. Hit home with you. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. The best thing you could do, in addition to that, is love your spouse. Get, his, get the, it could be a good team. Just some resources to take. I just wanted to give you some stuff to put in your toolbox. And what else I got? Oh, yeah. Did I give you this one? Yeah, it's really good, really good material. I'll get a list of that for next time. Make sure you guys have that. But if you're into podcasts, my wife does a podcast with Paige Clinkenpeel. It's really good. It's about adolescents and it's for parents of teenagers. Um, you can access through that. Um, uh, how did they do that? It's the Respect Team podcast. You can actually uh, research for that on uh, iTunes. Uh, that one's there. And then there's all these resources. Most of these resources came from the blog of respectteam.org. So you can check that out, too. Uh, respectteam.com. That's my wife's stuff. She's really gifted with teenagers. Um, yeah, I don't write things. <laughs> they do that writing. <laughs> I just talk. Yeah, so um, it's good. I, I'm just thankful you guys are here, that you're digging into teenage stuff. Yeah, let's pray. I'll let you out of here because maybe you have kids that you got to get to honor our children's ministry workers. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much um, just for this week one and that we could just kind of talk a little bit about just in general adolescence, some of the things we're seeing. And uh, it's good to put some some names to some behavior and some identify why things are kind of happening in our house. And uh, we just pray for each parent, pray for myself, pray for us as parents, uh, that you would give us courage and strength to fill us with your spirit. Uh, help us get super healthy to deal with and love them as best we can. Um, and we just pray for our kids as they grow up in a world that is so different than ours, um, that is so just hard and confusing, and um, it's just a battle. 
And so we pray that you would go before them, that you would awaken their souls to you, and that they would fall in love with you, and, and they would come out on the other side of that bridge, a healthy, responsible adult who loves Jesus. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.